Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another edition, a long-awaited edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I am your host, Bryant Ott, from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight, as always, is the incomparable Matt DeMarinis. Matt, thanks for coming on the show again tonight. I know we've got uh, a month's worth of uh, chewing the fat to catch up with here, but Again, thanks for being on, and uh, say hello to everybody listening on the podcast. How's everybody doing? Glad to be on again. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it, Matt. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've done this. Um, I've been kind of slaving away as a, a as an intense fanboy for the Chicago Cubs, following them. I just, I'm glad you're being honest about that, because when you started saying slaving away, I was like, wait a minute, you've been watching the Cubs the whole time. Right. I mean, it's hard work. It's emotionally taxing. I'm sure there's a handful of Cubs fans that also tune into this podcast and, you know, they feel my pain. It's been a roller coaster, but um, I'm sitting here drinking from just drinking water. FYI, <laughs> just drinking. I, I drank enough non-water uh, the last month that I think I think it should be good for a while, at least till Big East basketball starts. Um but I'm sitting here drinking water from my plastic cup that a buddy uh, smuggled out of Wrigley Field for me that has the World Series logo emblazoned on it. So I'll pretty much drink from that till I'm in my grave, which is exciting. Like your, like your own personal holy grail. Right. I mean, I know this is digressing real quick, but I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of listeners here that they've got their random collection of plastic cups from events at Rosenblatt or TD Ameritrade Park, CenturyLink, Civic Auditorium. And I know that there's some folks out there that collect that kind of stuff. And uh, what better way to to have it around than to use it? So tonight as I talk way longer than anybody wants to hear, I'll be um, wetting my my thirst straight from a World Series cup. But um, over the course of those couple weeks – I know it's been busy down on the hilltop, Matt. You've been uh, locked in. You've seen a lot happen over uh, over the course of covering practices and events. So let's just jump right in. I think the last time we talked, men's soccer was alone in first place in the Big East. And now after a tumultuous month of play, they are actually on the road Thursday night of this week for a semifinal match semifinal match in the Big East tournament at Providence. Um, would really love your thoughts on what you've seen, kind of the Blue Jays dominating in terms of shots, shots on goal, but ultimately suffering some really some really difficult losses that have that have put um, their postseason chances, their postseason position in uh, in in risk. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't. I think you might be too panicky or too pessimistic to say they're postseason. Dude, I was a Cubs fan my whole life. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. So yeah, I, I think they're. <laughs> oh, I think they're okay for postseason. Sure. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't say a lock, but uh, I think they're in good shape. Um, but I mean, like a week and a half ago, there's a really good chance, or I oh, guess there was a chance they were even going to make the Big East tournament. I'll lose lose to Georgetown. If they lost to Georgetown, it was a completely different story. Right. Um. So I guess to, you know, by the time that everybody knows now that, you know, they kind of hit a little bit of a wall at the wrong time, um, 
you know, the Xavier and the Villanova matches on the road, uh, they dropped both of them, but I think the shot disparity from the two matches was 51 to 12, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and of those 51 shots, one of those lucky lucky strikes found the back of the net one. So, um, They're yeah, really good at shooting. Just exactly. Really lucky at putting in the back of the net these last couple weeks, and that's what Elmar said. And God bless Elmar; he's one of the <laughs> he's one of the most honest coaches that we have on our campus. And it really is a treat to interview him because he will just great. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't call people out by name. He doesn't like rip players in the press, but he'll just if the team's not playing well, he'll tear them a new one. And, and, and you know, with his with the recorder in his face, so he's not scared to do that. So yeah, needless to say, he was. He was pretty comical when it came to the team just taking a lot of shots almost with, like, blindfolds on and not really having much of a purpose to score. Um, just kind of kicking it in the general direction of the net and hoping it goes in. So, uh, yeah, and then they came back home and dropped a one nothing match to uh, Providence and then put themselves in a pretty, you know, pretty scary position for the season that they had you know, decent hopes for as far as getting back to the postseason and making a little bit of a run. Um, they had to end up, you know, playing for their postseason lives on the last day of the season against Georgetown at Morrison Stadium where I think, if I remember the scenario correctly, if they lost, Georgetown locked up a spot. And if DePaul had beaten Marquette, that would have knocked Creighton out of the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament as it would, as it would have been. Uh, but Joe, but they got it together. They beat Georgetown three to nothing. Um, got themselves into the conference tournament. Got to move up to the four spot. Mm-hmm. Hosted Xavier, yeah. Hosted Xavier in a, <laughs> in a in a pretty chippy match. Um, there were a lot of emotions going in that one, and I don't think those two teams like each other very much, based on what transpired. Um, uh, Xavier, uh, you know, Creighton actually like kind of sleptwalked through the first twenty minutes or so. Elmar joked that daylight savings time might have messed with this team a little bit because they were just kind of going through the motions the first twenty minutes. Xavier got an early goal to go up one nothing. I don't even think Creighton got a shot in the first. Maybe it took twenty two minutes and change to get a shot even, and that's you know, in a week, you know, a week and a half ago they they outshot Xavier twenty nine to seven in Cincinnati, so. It was quite a disparity, um, but they got it together. Ricardo Perez uh, made a great move, one v one on um, Cam Taylor, who scored the game winner, the golden goal in double overtime against Creighton a, couple, a week and a half ago to, to win that match. And uh, he beat him one v one. He actually nutmegged him right between the legs, going to the end line, um, centered it back in front of goal to find Miles Inglis for the equalizer right before half. I think there was 44 seconds left in the first half, so that was huge. Um, and then Ricky Lopez-Espin, or Inglis again, drew a drew a foul in the box in the second half. Um, and then Ricky Lopez-Espin chipped home one of the slowest penalty kicks you'll ever see. But, <laughs> but the keeper dove on the ground. So but it found the back of the net. That's what we've yeah. established is the goal here in this sport, yes? Exactly. I think that's a recipe for success. Um, so the keeper, you know, dove to Ricky's right and kind of took himself out of the play very, 
you know, kindly, and then Ricky pretty much had a chip shot, which he literally chipped in. And uh, and then Creighton added an empty netter um, with about six seconds left. Inglis scored it again to win 3-1 to one and move on to the Big East semifinals where they will play at Providence, who uh, won the league outright. Your number 25-ranked Providence Friars. Right. Crazy. So, yeah, Creighton's on the road for the rest of the Big East tournament, no matter what, because they are the lowest remaining seed. So if they win at Providence, I believe they'll play at noon against the winner of Butler and Villanova. Mm-hmm. And Butler, uh, Butler favored in that match, no yeah. doubt. Yep. But Creighton has a win over Butler and a loss to Villanova. So, um, you know. Because, of course. The, yeah, the rest of this tournament is a crapshoot, essentially. So, uh and then a week from tomorrow, or I guess we're recording this Wednesday night, but a week from Thursday, NCAA tournament right around the corner, first round at campus sites on Thursday, November 17th. So, um, yeah, I've said my goodbyes to Morrison Stadium this year just in case, you know. Yeah. I made sure, I made sure to, you know, go over to Billy right outside the entrance and, you know, tell him I'll see him next year just in case I don't get a chance to again. Because um, I think Creighton is okay to make the tournament. I think they'll be in, um, you know, just based on where their metrics are right now, based on their reputation, based on the wins they have. I think that they've done enough work to get in despite the, you know, struggles at the end of the season. Sure. But I'm not, not a hundred percent confident they'll host again. So yeah, I think they still have work to do to host, but I'm pretty sure they'll be in the NCAA tournament, whether they win or lose on Thursday. So when you say goodbye to Billy, down at Morrison, do you like rub his belly or like his, no, his, his beak. beak? His beak, yeah. Okay. His beak, okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, love I don't it. think he. I think he. I would be afraid if I rubbed his belly that he would use his beak to you know peck at my hands. So I kind of. Of course, I, I mean that's that's common sense. I mean, when I you're hear petty, blue jays are yeah, blue jays are really angry birds. I hear so you don't want to make them mad. They are. They have one of the worst dispositions of any birds in uh, in in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so says my, so says my five year old who wants to play <laughs> basketball at Creighton and also uh, be a zoologist at the same time. So he's hey, got it covered. There's no better university. He's got it covered. Speaking of um, teams with bad dispositions, uh, Kirsten Berthal Booth's volleyball program is just mean right now. Right? They're just bad. They are just oh. crushing. Every team that comes their way, um, I mean, I'm looking at, just as a reminder of how great this is, um, straight-up sweeps for the last two weeks, mm-hmm. and they've lost one set since uh, Friday, October 7th. So tell me a little bit about why they are so good um, and and what Blue Jays fans can expect here down the home stretch. And literally the home stretch because they finish the regular season all at home at Sokol Arena. Right. Well, I think they were, you know, it's pretty simple to explain why they are so good in Big East play. They have the best players across the board. I mean, pretty much position to position, they are outplaying their competition. So it's that's the reason for all the sweeps you see. Um, I think they actually have right now 16 on the year, which is. Three more than they had last year already, and that was a program record. So, yeah, this is a – they're dominating in a historic fashion, even for their standards recently. And uh, 
yeah, they're just kind of running through this big east pretty pretty convincingly. Um, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, creating the lawnmower, big east the grass kind of thing. Sure. Um, and there's not much, you know, and this weekend or this weekend they'll play they'll play Providence twice um, at home because that's their travel partner and. You know the Big East is weird. Uh, that is that's like that'd be a good pod, podcast just to start that off off branch. Pod, yeah. you know, Big East is weird podcast. I, we could we could probably make that work. I think we could. There's a lot of material that they've given us over the years. Um, but yeah, they'll play Providence twice this weekend. Friday, if they win, um, I say if they win, just you know, I'm being respectful. Uh, they will clinch a share of the Big East regular season title, and Saturday, if they win again, um, they will clinch the Big East title outright, which will be the third year in a row they've done so. So, yeah, they're in good shape to cross off one of their goals, which was to win the Big East regular season, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, that will leave them with Georgetown and Villanova left at home, and then the Big East tournament um, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yeah, why... Why Indianapolis? Why Hinkle? Uh, I think we went back to the Big East's weird thing. Okay. So that's why. Um, you know, they'd like to move it around. Um, will anybody be there, Matt? Nobody will be there. Maybe friends and family of sure. of each team. I think, you know, Marquette will be there, so that's close by. Okay. Uh, Creighton will be there, so that's close enough. And I, I believe Butler is in trouble. So they might not be there, and they're the closest ones. They might be. One. They, might, they, they might. They might. They might be there, but they might not. They might be play. hanging out, watching the Blue Jays play because yeah. the Blue Jays are amazing, but right. they might not be involved. Okay. Right. So yeah, I'm, it's just I don't know where it's going to be next year. They kind of, you know, go back and forth with that. Um, obviously, it's been at Creighton. It's been at DG Soul Arena twice already. Yeah. Since uh, Creighton moved to the Big East, so I mean they've had their turn. I think it was in Milwaukee, in between. Um, so I think the first year Marquette won it at DJ Soka Arena, and then the next year Creighton won it in Milwaukee, and then obviously won it again in Omaha last year, and are in pretty good position to do it again this time in Indianapolis. And then I think uh, you know they just submitted a bid this week to host the um, NCAA tournament if they are um, seated in the top sixteen. So I think they'll be back at home if they continue to win and. It's funny because um, the way the NCAA tournament is doing their regionals this year is the Final Four is in Columbus, mm-hmm. but the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight are at regional sites that are undetermined at the moment. So they'll kind of... Oh, basically, How ba- great would ba- that be? Well, ba- Yeah, exactly. So basically the top four seeds remaining in the tournament after the first weekend will be the hosts. So... You know, it's looking like Creighton will host the first weekend, and if they make it to the Sweet 16 again, you know, not unlikely that they get sent to Lincoln sure. to play, you know, so they might not leave the state of Nebraska, you know, unless they make it to the Final Four and have to go to Columbus. So, obviously not set in stone yet, but, you know, looking likely that they're going to play in the state of Nebraska quite a bit here over the next, you know, over the next month, really, because it goes into the first week of December. So a lot of opportunities for Creighton fans to see what right now is by far the hottest team on campus. So hot. Hottest team. So hot. Uh, Take it easy. (laughs) I mean, 
Like, seriously, what they are doing right now is just yeah. decimating that league, and you don't want to take it for granted. I mean, this type of performance doesn't happen very often, and, um, I mean, like you said, you don't want to count any chickens before they're hatched, but, I mean, Providence, one conference win coming into this weekend, and then you get Georgetown and Villanova at home. Then you're in the tournament, uh, Big East tournament, semifinals and finals over Thanksgiving weekend. And then, you know, what – I'm sure they've got a lot of goals um, as a team. But, man, it would be something special to see them host, thinking just how far this program has come so quickly, but with so much hard work under Coach Booth to see mm-hmm. them host um, – even first and second round matches would just be tremendous for the program. So, um, that's all I got to say about volleyball. I mean, they're just handling business, you know, uh, anything that you want to add? I know they've, uh, they, today was national letter of intent day. I don't know how much you've been in tune with coach booth or anybody down at that program, uh, about the letters that they had come in. Um, anything you want to update folks on that? Uh, yeah, they signed, or they got national letters of intent from uh, Papillion kid Steph Gaston. I think that's how you say your last name. I was really uh, hoping it was Gaston, like just like hardcore. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Gaston, yeah. Yeah, yeah so okay. um, six foot five um, left-hander from Papillion. That um, sounds like Gaston from the movie. I mean, right. big, strong, right? Exactly. Okay. I mean, I guess Booth was saying it's the first lefty she's had in the program, so she's pretty excited about that Wow! and the challenges it can present. But um, she's actually from my – you don't say alma mater in high school, but – Sure you do. Come on. Really? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I do. So, so yeah, you know – It's your um, podcast. You can say whatever you want. That's why people 15, start podcasts. <laughs> 15 or so years removed from that place, they produce a Creighton volleyball product who I'll be covering next year. God, and, uh, doesn't that make you feel something? Right, go Papio. Um, and the second one was Naomi Hickman from Kansas. Um, sounds like she'll be the um, she'll be Lauren Smith's heir apparent. Big, tall, physical, middle blocker, good hitter, powerful hitter. So Creighton's gonna be pretty big. Um, you know, if you just look at the recruiting classes they have, even for twenty eighteen, they've got some big kids signed up already with. Uh, you know, this year's focus was um, getting the back row replaced and with Brittany Witt into the fold um, and Samantha Bonet kind of coming coming along. Um, you know, their back row is pretty much set for the next few years, so the front line is getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful, you know, in order to counteract that. And, you know, they're not slowing down. They're having a great year this year. They're going to have – they're going to be loaded again next year even more talented than they were this year. So, you know, if you're hottest, not on board, yeah, hottest team on, on campus, yeah. hottest yeah. team on campus. By now is all I'm saying. <laughs> right. So plenty of opportunities here in the next couple of weeks to see coach Booth's team down at Sokol arena. Make sure if you can get out, um, cause they are fun to watch. Speaking of fun to watch, Matt, I know you and I really haven't had a chance to talk since, uh, the Wayne state, exhibition game for your number 22 ranked or I guess 22nd ranked Creighton Blue Jays men's basketball team um I just have to before we jump into you know a quick recap of that um, your impressions from that um from that scrimmage 
and then looking ahead to the season opener this weekend against the Kangaroos of Missouri, Kansas City. I loved, I don't know how many of you guys and gals got to walk through the concourse at CenturyLink either before, during, or after the game on Friday night, but obviously Coach Mack and, uh, has, a, has a relationship with Wayne State and um, a lot of Omaha and Nebraska products on that team for this exhibition. Only time I've been at CenturyLink for a Jays game where both the home and the road teams were selling merch over there by the Mutual of Omaha Fake Animal Kingdom Puppeteer wow. Show. Yeah, it just like caught me. I yeah, I was tired. I had worked a lot that day, and and I had to do a double take because I started seeing yellow and black, and like immediately I thought that they, oh no, somebody <laughs> smuggled some Wichita State shit in, and uh, and I was really really concerned. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was great. Like sweet racks of gear for Wayne State. Obviously the Jays with uh, holding down that corner as well, trying to sell some merch. But just a really nice hat tip, I think for. For that program, they had a lot of fans. I saw a ton of fans walking the concourse too. Um, so obviously, people were excited, um, you know. And I think Jays fans were just really eager to see this team get started. Um, you know, Justin Patton out there in the starting lineup. Uh, been waiting to see him wear white and blue for a couple of years now. And then you got a guy like Marcus Foster. I mean, like that was the first time I've seen him on the court in a Jays uniform, all ready to roll. And that dude is off the bus, looks the part. Tell mm-hmm. me, tell me. I mean, you see him every day, but what what was your perspective seeing these guys kind of roll it out against Wayne State and get going uh, for all intents and purposes? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because I feel like your, your perspective that you kind of just touched on a little bit there is more valuable than mine at the moment because, like you said, I've seen these guys – playing for two years already I mean I mean this is the second year I guess but I mean I've seen everything that Marcus Foster can do with the basketball like uh what was that um little video that was tweeted out uh you know what a week ago or so with him throwing down that one-handed dunk you know I mean like how many times have you seen that in practice like yeah I mean that's something that you see every day you know what I'm saying like that's just and and it was funny because I think someone reacted appropriately to it they were like Notice the reaction of the players on the court when he did that. <laughs> there was barely any kind of, you know, any kind of like celebrating or, oh my God, did that just happen type of thing? Because, again, if you're there, you see that all the time. You know what I mean? And the same thing with Kobe. You know, Kobe, Kobe, had, one, Kobe had one where he went down the lane and did it too. And it's like, yep, that's what he does. He is. He can fly. He can get off the ground quick, and he throws it down hard. And when he does, we get 92,000 tweets from people <laughs> in the Philippines about it. So keep it up, Kobe, because we're going to start selling ads down there or something because, man, they are <laughs> rabid for this dude. It's insane. I think I – honestly, I don't know much about their pop culture, but I mean – I I know you're going to be part he, of it because Matt DeMoranis is going to be on CNN Philippines representing White and Blue Review here pretty soon. Uh, probably sometime in the next day or two, right, Matt? Uh, yeah. they've, they've reached out because, I mean, legit, they cover that kid uh, like, like you know, he's a prodigal yeah. son. And I think it's just going to be really exciting for the Blue Jays to have that type of kind of um, the skills to match kind of that hype. It, it looks like to me, I mean, he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't phased and neither were the players. I mean, they expect him to do that. Yeah. Uh, turn the corner, try to throw down and. I thought his shot looked pretty effortless too. I think there were a couple that he took 
uh, at least the first one he took, he was obviously trying to come off and, and get into a rhythm, but I thought he looked like he could elevate and get a shot up pretty quick. No, he has been shooting the ball really well in practice. Um, he's got kind of a quick, I don't know if I want to call it a quick release or kind of a short release or something like that, but his follow-through isn't what you... Agreed, uh, yeah. You know, it just comes out of his hand really quickly, and it doesn't really... I'm trying to think of a, you know, a, comp- a comparison, but uh, I almost want to say a little Richard Lewis, but he's not as tall with it. Because Richard Lewis, I think, just used most of his wrist, you know, if I'm trying to remember properly. Um, God, you're an NBA you know, nerd, too. I love it. <laughs> it's just Richard something. Lewis. I know. 92,000 people in the Philippines just started Googling Richard Lewis to see who that is. <laughs> like, you just made Richard Lewis's life on yeah. YouTube because they're going to go look for those highlights, man. Now he's going to be able to sign at the pro team out there. You know, CNN lunch. Philippines is going to be calling him for interviews. So. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a – yeah. To, I mean, his shot is a quick trigger. Um, he gets it off quick, and it's – you know, he's pretty accurate with it. I was kind of surprised at how well he shot the ball because – you know, the advertisement on him is how athletic he was. And, you know, usually when you hear about athleticism, you think, okay, well, he's really athletic and he's raw. So, because otherwise he'd be in the NBA if he was athletic and could shoot. So, but yeah, he's really athletic and he can shoot the ball. So, I mean, the thing with him that, you know, might prevent him from, you know, playing a lot of minutes is, you know, just that consistency that, you know, freshmen deal with, um, you know, when they're transitioning to Division One basketball. Um, on the defensive end, on the offensive end. I mean, on the offensive end, he, you know, he's kind of, um, you know, he looks to create a lot and doesn't necessarily always make the simple play. So that's going to be something he'll struggle with. And then on the defensive end, you know, it's all about knowing where you're supposed to be, communicating the right way, and limiting your mistakes so you don't allow, you know, twice as many baskets as you can score type of thing. So, but yeah, he's he is ultra talented. Um, which is kind of funny because this recruiting class wasn't really talked about that much. Um, you know, the 2017 guys who I think Mitch Ballack signed his letter of intent today, but he did, um, he did. Yeah. And then Tyshawn Alexander is obviously a commit who is planning on signing his as well. So all the hype is around 2017. And then the hype for this year was to see Justin Patton and Marcus Foster on the floor. Um, so Davion Mintz and Kobe Paris kind of got overshadowed a little bit, but you know, they're not going to redshirt. They're going to play. Davion's going to back up Maurice Watson Jr. at point guard. And, um, you know, Kobe's going to be fighting every day for playing time on the wing with, you know, that loaded guard core. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is where your perspective far out trumps mine. Uh, even though (laughs) you see them all the time. I mean, God love him. Uh, and it was a little weird to see him without the buzz cut, right? But Zierden's out there, you know, catching passes on the wing, pump faking, dribble, pump fake. And I'm just looking at the other guards, like nothing against Z, but, I mean, he's got a lot of guys around him now that can fly around. And, um, you know, they don't know half of what he does, mm-hmm. you know, from his experiences and knowing where to be and um, – his ability to get into passing lanes and stuff like that, but just explain a little bit about what that log jam is going to be like and how it's going to sort itself out. Well, I mean, just starting with Zierden, I think he is going to benefit a lot from these guys being, you know, game ready enough to get minutes because, you know, he's not a guy that 
has, you know, just, you know, based on his injury history, he hasn't shown he can handle the wear and tear. You know, you just kind of, you know, call it bad luck or whatever, but for some reason um, he hasn't been lucky enough to finish a season in his career yet, which is kind of staggering when you think about it. he's a fifth-year senior. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously a big goal for him is to finish a year healthy, upright, on his own terms, and this is his last year to do it. So I think, you know, having a, having a um, kind of a log jam there benefits him probably the most because you can limit his minutes, but he can still be effective. Um, because obviously he can space the floor because he's, you know, naturally the best shooter on this on this team still. And, uh, you know, like, you, like I was talking about, alluding to earlier with the simple plays, Zierden knows how to make those. He knows where guys are supposed to be. Yeah. You know, he's got a point guard's mind in, you know, a shooting guard's body. And, uh, you know, defensively, he's got that thing figured out. And, you know, I still see him getting, you know, quite a few minutes around the 20-minute range, which is I think is going to be perfect for him because he can really be effective in spurts. You know, playing off of Maurice Watson, maybe spelling Foster for a little bit. You know, spelling Thomas if they want to go really small. I want Marcus Foster to play every single second of the season, <laughs> just, ever, think, just between you and me and everybody listening. Uh, um, yeah. Because, man, that's, I mean, that guy. You're not the only one. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you talk about making simple plays and, and maybe working some kinks out. You know, I know Justin, you know, very excited to to play in front of everybody in the city now. Um, came out, had some kind of mishandles out there. Uh, got the start. And if that holds up and he starts uh, against UMKC, that's going to put him in, into some rarefied air. Uh as a freshman starter, but um, maybe just explain how his performance against Wayne State maybe looked different than what you've seen on a day-to-day, you know, practice floor, or or did it? I mean, is that kind of what we should expect the early season here for for Justin as he gets in the role of things? He was a little bit more nervous than I thought. Sure. Yeah, I've seen him before. Obviously, he makes his share of mistakes because. I mean, he's essentially, you know, kind of a guard wing in a center's body with that, you know, just the way he grew. Mm-hmm. Um, so He's on know, the he's Kareem still... Abdul-Jabbar center of the year, like, <laughs> watch list, man. This guy was like six foot three a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, and I'm on the record that that's a little bit too much of a projection for him right now at this stage. So temper that, folks. Don't give him a hard time. He's learning. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, that, I mean, that's the first time in a game he's, you know, everybody talks about getting Marcus Foster back on the floor. You know, Justin Patton sat the whole year, too, last year, so he has the same itch that Marcus had. And I think, you know, it kind of affected him, you know, being in the bright, in front of the, you know, in the bright lights in front of the hometown fans for the first time in his career. You know, regardless of opponent, he made some mistakes that, you know, are just a matter of, you know, playing faster than your mind can think or vice versa. And he addressed the East, you know, he's very honest about, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he said after the game that, you know, that was an issue for him. So it's something that he needs to come back and, you know, kind of get comfortable out there in game situations. Those game reps are going to help. He's going to get some because Zach Hansen isn't ready um, to carry the load just yet and probably won't be for a while. So the whole non-conference, you know, um, Justin's going to be thrown to the fire and he'll have an opportunity to kind of work himself into a comfort zone 
But at this point, at this stage, especially with Wisconsin coming game two, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, make those mistakes um, often. I won't say often, but maybe that's a little too harsh. But he'll make those mistakes. And, you know, it's just going to be part of his part of his process, part of his maturation. Because he does have a very high ceiling. I mean, for a post player, um, you know, his offensive repertoire, he can score down low. He's got good jump hooks, right or left. Um, he's a very good passer for a big man. Um, his stride, he can get to the hoop really, like, you know, two steps from the three-point line, he's at the rim. So pick-and-pop situations are going to be interesting for teams to defend because he can also step out and shoot jumpers. Um, you know, he's not a terribly great three-point shooter, but he's effective enough to hit it, and he can hit from, you know, from 18, he's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be a handful, but he's also going to make his share of mistakes as any freshman will. What else from the exhibition caught your attention, or are we you know, talking too much about a glorified scrimmage. What's your thought? Yeah, probably a little. I've probably been asked a lot about Wayne State, and it's Wayne State. So, I mean, there's only so much you can dissect from a 93-46 win over a rebuilding Division II team. Um, God bless them. But, yeah. you know, I think probably the other thing that stood out, um, or I guess the couple things that stood out were rebounding. You know, great. I think Creighton grabbed 52 rebounds. 52 for the boards. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that, uh, Coach McDermott was interested in whether how many of those were you know well executed blockouts and rebounds that they probably would have gotten against a a better opponent versus just being more athletic than Wayne State and not really being fundamentally sound. So, but they kept Wayne State off the offensive glass. They got some offensive rebounds of their own. Um, Seventeen assists to eight turnovers, I think, is what their assist turnover ratio was. So that's another good number to see. Um, I think. Uh, they hit 35 field goals, so I think you know you want to see their assist to field goal number be a little closer together if you have one complaint, and then I don't think they shot the free throw that well, or certainly some guys can shoot it better than they did that night. So, you know, there's still some things that they can do better, but, you know, they still got to uh, show the crowd what they had a little bit in an exhibition. They won comfortably. They didn't, you know get rolled by a Division three team like St. John's did last year. So Damn. No, <laughs> no cause for alarm bells, but not ready to go to the Final Four just yet. Okay. Are they ready for the ruse? Are they ready for UMKC Friday night? Last pretty, sure they're, pretty confident they're ready for UMKC. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, Wisconsin's, a, Wisconsin's a different animal, though. I have that one as, an, as a loss. So Okay. I think that's fair enough. I mean – I'm just wondering, you see Justin out there, obviously Zach's not 100%, Cole's not 100%. Right. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Toby. Um, I know that Toby will be licking his chops to go up against the Badgers if he gets that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at that, I'm just wondering, you know, how many points is Marcus Foster or Maurice Watson going to have to score to keep the Jays, you know, in there knowing that they're going to be at a deficit in the paint? Thirty each, maybe. Okay. No, I, mean, I, I would. I don't know. I think they're. I think they're gonna try to run. I you gotta think, I think, right? I think, the, I think the pace and the. I mean, they try to run on everybody, but the pace and the tempo. I think, you know, if we're talking about Wisconsin right now, just a little bit. I think the pace and the tempo are key for Creighton's success, because I think Wisconsin can is pretty adaptable to most situations, and they have a lot of experience back from last year, 
and Nigel Hayes is the Big East or Big Ten preseason player of the year. And God, please Brock, don't tell me he's in the Big East. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and Bronson Koenig, uh, you know, sounds like he's had an incredible offseason um, and sounds like a pretty popular pick as a breakout candidate for them. And I don't know, I, I saw that on our message board, someone posted some things from their scrimmage against Northern Iowa, and I think when you added four players together, they ended up shooting, they ended up hitting like 14 or 15 threes between the four of them. Sweet. That's a lot, and uh, so I think pace is going to be a, you know, Creighton wants to get them running, um, maybe keep them off the uh, offensive glass that way by running and making sure Wisconsin needs to if they have to focus on being back in transition, they're obviously not going to commit that many bodies to getting rebounds. So, you know, pace is going to be the key thing. And I think if whoever can dictate the tempo of this game between Maurice Watson Jr. and Bronson Koenig probably has the advantage. But like I said, Wisconsin's really good. They might be fine with an up-and-down game. Um, I believe it's – I just – you know, right now on paper, it looks like more of an uphill battle in that game for Creighton than it does Wisconsin, just based on – sure. Now the health of each team and what Wisconsin has coming back. So I think that's fair. I mean, their their core is back. I mean, they're plus they have a guy in their team with the last name Van Vliet. So that like that worries me a little bit. Um, not spelled <laughs> the same as good old Fred, but yeah, you know, anytime a Van Vliet comes in the building, there could be some trouble. So um, okay, let's bounce away from men's basketball and actually to the team that you are traveling to cover on opening night um on friday night so you're gonna pass up that showdown with the ruse you know last time they played umkc doug mcdermott scored 37 points in 31 minutes so you might miss something good go on there i don't think that that's going to happen but why are you going to go watch uh women's basketball coach flannery taking his team to face the Jackrabbits. Tell me a little bit about what's up with there. I appreciate you giving me the, you know, the mic to do that because everybody, you know, obviously when you when you say, well, men's basketball season opens Friday. Yeah, well, so does women's basketball, and it's a little bit bigger of a game. So we talk about Wisconsin as a big um, non-conference matchup for the men's team. That's obviously the marquee one on their schedule. I think South Dakota State is the marquee one on the women's side because they have uh, 10 players returning from last year to do the Jackrabbits. All five starters. The team went twenty-seven and seven, um, and they were. I think they lost in the second round to Stanford at Stanford by one point. So they were one point away from the Sweet Sixteen. And they bring back that entire club. Yeah, they they lost on a random like three-point play. I think with uh, less than ten seconds to go. I mean, they had that game unlocked. You know. Yeah. At Stanford, at Palo Alto. At Stanford in Palo Alto, that close to a Sweet Sixteen. So they have that club back. And, um, you know, Frost Arena is going to be an interesting environment for Creighton. You know, you just look at the expectations. Uh, South Dakota State is receiving – I think they're in the top 25 or receiving votes. They're favored to win the Summit again. And uh, Creighton is obviously um, preseason tied for first with DePaul, who um, – you know, Is it just, weird to see DePaul picked first for anything? Is that weird to you? Not for women's basketball or <laughs> softball. Know. Softball, sure. I think they're pretty good at, and then women's soccer. They, it's, I've used to joke with people. I go, DePaul is pretty much like a men's basketball resurgence away from being probably the best athletic team in the conference. And people like laughed at me, 
And then I try to show them, and then I try to show them how they're how good they are in the other sports that people don't pay attention to. And yeah, they I don't go, care. Yeah, they're like, oh wow. So yeah, if men's basketball gets it together, DePaul might rule this league. Um, anyway, I digress. But yeah, South Dakota State whipped that whipped a DePaul team last year that was loaded. Mm-hmm. So and then you know they obviously lost some good players on that squad, but you know South Dakota State pretty much blew them out twice in that game because you know DePaul has a tendency to get down twenty and make that up in about five minutes and then fall behind again. So. It ended up being two blowouts within one game. But needless to say, that South Dakota State club is really, really good. Um, and then Creighton is expected to be really, really good. So that's kind of a marquee matchup and one I'm excited to see in person. So I will be in Brookings on Friday night. Okay. We're excited that you're going um, because Flan's got a great team, or at least you know on paper everything is looking um, like the Audrey Faber breakout show and mm-hmm. um of course uh marissa Janney back in the fold just a lot of experience back for mm-hmm. flans team and so it's going to be um i think an exciting season you know volleyball is going to wrap up here and there's going to be some overlap i know um i know flans teams away from home a little bit uh early in the season but you're just going to segue from coach booth's team into into watching flans squad go and it, i mean it shapes up for a really nice fall to to winter transition there for seeing successful teams at Sokol arena yeah it's kind of my personal hell but you know <laughs> i'm glad you're excited well, <laughs> i don't get much i don't get much sleep these days but i do enjoy the events so. don't they have like the matt d Moranis like honorary suite oh. set up yet or something like that they need to, or something where I can just get there like in the blink of an eye, and not have to, like go on the interstate and do all that driving. Like, it's like a... I think you should probably just go like be roommates with Kobe and Davion. I'm just assuming <laughs> they're they're roommates. I think I would uh, maybe we could like create like a reality show, or just you know? like you know I'm not very picky. Just a closet somewhere, okay? You know, with space. You know. If I have Wi-Fi, I can type in there, and then, you know, I'll kind of just make the bed work, however, so I'm not asking for much. If any of the, um, you know, athletic uh, what facilities managers are listening to this, just make it happen. Just for what? Like, just try it out. One <laughs> you weekend. Know what's kinda, you know what's kind of funny, though, is I think I've actually been on Creighton's campus for, like, not a 24-hour period in one day, but I think all hours of a day I've been at Creighton's campus. Like, there isn't a single hour that goes by in a day that I haven't been on Creighton's campus for one reason or the other. Whether it's, like, staying there till 5 in the morning, working on, like, you know, two recaps and a feature or something like that. So I'm pretty sure I've had, you know, I've seen the sunrise, sunset, like, you know, all that sort of thing. I've pretty much lived an entire day. I know. think what should happen, I know, like, Elmar always goes on these crazy trips in the summer. I think he should take you with him. I think that I would – I think WBR would pay big money for you to write, like, an <laughs> intensive feature on one of those trips that Elmar does, but with you kind of in lockstep. Like, and, I mean, I think they almost owe it to you at this point, so we'll try to make that happen. Like where we go up in the mountains and, like, find Bigfoot. <laughs> right. Bring him back through bare hands. Um <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, so we got women's basketball getting getting started too. Um, just God, it's a busy time. Like this is exciting. I know we were gonna try to, <laughs> you and I were gonna try to keep this first, you know, this this open before your your uh, 
your main interview here tonight. We were going to try to keep it like 15, 20 minutes. We're at about 40 minutes right now. Um, and I feel like it's just flown by. And I think Jays fans are going to probably feel that too, because there's just a lot going on and it's all exciting stuff. I mean, yeah, it's that spring training feeling for the basketball teams. It's, it's crunch time for men's soccer, a time of the year where, you know, Jays fans always, you know, kind of calibrate, right. They, they know that it's coming down here and that for all but one season here in the last couple decades, and soccer's been in the mix for the NCAA tournament and usually making a, a decent run. And and volleyball, obviously, um, doing unprecedented things uh, program-wide. So, oh, one more thing one more thing before I yeah. forget. We did, we did go over the signees for volleyball and men's basketball. We also, we also had three for women's, women's basketball. Women's basketball, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Timmy Carta, I think is how I'll say her name until I hear otherwise. Um, that's because how it's spelled. So Timmy Carta um, is another Minnesota kid. Um, she's a five foot nine guard from Lakeville, Minnesota. She signed today. Um, Gracie Griglione is a six foot two post from Iowa, and Tatum Rembau, uh is a Colorado product. She's a guard as well, five foot nine, and uh, she's actually I think she was actually coached by former NBA veteran and Utah Ute standout Keith Van Horn. Um, so those are the three. Uh, Letters of intent that Creighton women's basketball got for um, 2017-2018 season. You know, I think you know white white and blue reviews been going on for uh, since 2009, right? 2009-2010 was our first season, and we were just kind of dabbling with Twitter a little bit at that time. And obviously, that's been a big growth vehicle for us. Um, Jays fans all over the world follow us on Twitter, and uh, it's still you know we've had a ton of coverage through that medium and it's still every once in a while, you'll have somebody retweet some of your stuff and you're like, Oh yeah, that that's pretty sweet. Keith Van Horn. I mean, I grew up watching him a lot and mm-hmm. he was exceptional basketball player and yeah, he's just retweeting white and blue review stuff because one of his coaches is going to be a blue Jay. Like that's just small world type, wonderful stuff for me that I think, um, you know, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think that Flan's recruiting somebody uh, under his tutelage that, that doesn't know what they're doing because Keith Van Horn doesn't strike me as a person that's going to mess around too much um, right. not teaching the game. So uh, that's exciting, and it looks like Flan's got a great class coming in too. Again, you can talk about how you want DePaul to be sweet in every sport, map, but I'm telling you the Blue Jays <laughs> program-wide making stuff happen. So Yeah, yeah they're definitely – they're definitely getting going here. Speaking of getting going, let's um, let's give these uh, these women that you're going to introduce here their their due. I know their season didn't end as well as they would have liked. Um, we're talking about Ross Pauly's women's soccer program. They miss out on the Big East tournament. Their season ended. Um, I'm sure what they would say prematurely. Um, and I know you've been able to catch up here with kind of one final interview with the the seniors on that squad maybe just give us um give us a little bit of a a preview for your talk with those uh members of the team and and just your perspective here as their season um didn't exactly end the way they wanted it to yeah so i guess you know if you're trying to catch up here they're you know they ended up putting themselves in a good position to make the Big East tournament, I guess, good position in the fact that if they won on their final match, they'd be in. But unfortunately, their final match was against the 
most talented team in the conference in the Georgetown Hoyas, who, if you weren't, you know, if you don't know, they beat number three Virginia and number one West Virginia during the season. Um, I think they finished second in the league overall or third in the league overall, but won the conference tournament, um, beating Marquette to get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So Georgetown's really good. And they came in and beat Creighton three to nothing on the regular season finale at Morrison Stadium, and yeah, they kind of just ended their year just a little short of the Big East tournament, which they wanted to make obviously every year. But they finished seventh with I think, which I think is their highest finish. I'm pretty sure in conference play since they joined the Big East. So an encouraging step forward, and they did this year get a win over Marquette, obviously three to two in double overtime where Lauren Sullivan, who's one of the seniors we'll talk to here, uh, scored the game-winning goal and in, in overtime. And uh, so Marquette ended up winning the regular season title, long story short. So Creighton ended up with a win over the one seed. Um, the thing that will the thing that there will be the regret that hangs over the, the black cloud that will hang over the season as like how short they were or how close they were is the loss to Villanova on the road. Um. I think Villanova ended up with two wins in conference play, and one of them was over Creighton. So, you know, one of those matches where if they could take one back right now, it would be that Villanova match for sure. So, But, yeah, their season ended a little shorter what they wanted to accomplish. But, you know, so we have arrows are here. Arrows are pointing up for that program too, though. I know that um, you've, you've, uh, you've mentioned that quite a, quite a bit on Twitter and in some of the pieces you've, you've written. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about that before we segue in kind of how these seniors leaving, what, what they're leaving this program looking like now heading into a really important off season for Paulie and his coaching staff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because there is a lot of talent in that freshman class that he brought in, but you know, you lose Lauren Sullivan, who is obviously one of the best, if not the best, um, player in great women's soccer history. So there's a little bit of, you know, do they take a step forward or will the loss of Sullivan, you know, be as impactful as it seems on paper? Um, but Taryn Jacobowski, who was pretty much the engine of that team all year, um, was an all-Big East freshman selection this year. Um, so she looks like the star in the making on that squad. Um, you know, in the back line, uh, who played center, Jalen Bosak played um, – center back along with Emily Roll, who's a senior all year. So, and Mackenzie Miola was really, really good in net. Um, so, I mean, there's some pieces that are coming back next year as sophomores and, you know, they're going to be a big part of this group that I think tries to take the next step for this program, which is, you know, first of all, making the Big East tournament. Second, you know, performing well in it and getting to the NCAA tournament, which is, you know, been Ross Pauley's goal from the start. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to, you know, it didn't sound like he had much of a chance to recruit, um, as he would like to his first year, but still ended up with some talented pieces coming in. And I think from all indications, you know, the class that he's going to bring in for next year and beyond or, or even more so talented, um, just based on the connections that he's built, um, before taking the head coaching position at Creighton. So trending in the right direction for sure, but you know, the losses of these three kids won't be understated because Sullivan finished her career um, 
with 32 goals. I mean, that's tied for second all time at Creighton. Uh, she was tied or she was third place all time in career points. Um, tied for second in multi-goal matches, third place all-time in goals at Morrison Stadium, second place all-time in points at Morrison Stadium. She was one of the most dynamic players that's ever put on a Creighton women's soccer uniform. So, um, you know, replacing her is going to be huge. Uh, Emily Roll, who played center back this year and most of her career, but um, except for last year when she was a, little, when she was a defensive midfielder. Uh, but she pretty much needed a break. You pretty much needed to break a bone that was weight bearing in order to get her out of a match. So, I mean, she was just the heart of that team. Um, you know, just incredibly fit. Never, never failed a fitness test her entire career. And I've seen usually that first week when it's you know still in the hundreds and the nineties, and you know they're getting back to campus. They're always the first team to start practice, and you know they have two days, and it's just grueling. Morrison Stadium is not a pleasant place when. <laughs> When it's ninety or hundred degrees and you haven't you know done anything all off season, but um, but she stays in shape the whole time. She never failed a fitness test in her career, um, and I've seen her finish a lot of runs after she's done taking fitness tests. I've seen her run a lot of fitness tests with other players who have failed and try to motivate them to finish it on time. So you know her losses, you're gonna look at it statistically and go, that's gonna be easy to replace. But really, it's there's not a player I've seen work as hard on that campus is that kid. And uh, the final one is Linnea Sahau, the German, you know, big physical kid, played defensive midfielder this year. Um, Creighton's go-to striker on set pieces and penalty kicks. And, you know, it's uh, no one wanted to volunteer to be standing on the wall when she was taking a set piece from anywhere around the box. So uh, three pretty important pieces that Creighton's going to have to replace next year. So, I think we sat down with them for about a half an hour, um, you know, talking about the emotional stuff where, you know, they kind of go through what it's like to, you know, wrap up their careers at Morrison Stadium and what they're going to miss about playing on that field and, you know, kind of what their aspirations are for their post-college careers. And then we, you know, we get to have a little fun where they do impersonations of the head of the coaching staff um, which sound pretty spot on. Uh, so I think people will enjoy that, but it's, a you know, kind of just a little farewell, one final interview with, uh, each of these kids who put four years into the program. None of them were transfers. They all, you know, put in four years and in, in Omaha and were starters most of the time. So yeah, they'll be missed for sure. And that's going to be, um, how we'll end the episode tonight. I think That'll be um, it'll be great to hear that full piece and um, give them kind of the mic with you. I know you've been covering a ton of their practices and matches for for a few years na- few years now. So um, I think that's really just the plan tonight. Is we're going to end the episode after that interview, um, like you said, about thirty minutes of quality time with those three seniors on Ross Polly's program. And, uh, Matt, I know that things are, I know you're really busy now, but, you know, really looking forward to doing this on a more frequent basis now that hoops is, uh, underway and, and, and obviously a lot of people intrigued by the men's and women's programs, not to mention, you know, uh, 
coming down here to the end of the season and, and hopefully some long postseason runs for men's soccer and volleyball too. So just want to say on behalf of all the Jays fans that, that read your coverage and follow you on social networks and, 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 um, and connect with you, thank you for making them feel as close to these programs as possible. Thank you for promoting um, what these teams are doing from a news angle because I think it's just really important that you've got that, um, you know, that ability to just tell it like it is. And, and like you've said, you've learned from some really great people not to, uh, um, not to go after these stories with anything but the truest of intentions. So thanks for everything that you do for Creighton fans um, and that you are doing for these athletes because they work hard and, and, and they deserve to have their games written about and talked about. And uh, the fans certainly deserve to have an outlet like you covering all of these really important things that they love to follow. So just thought I'd put that in there here before we get all emotional with the women's soccer interview as well. Um, I can tell you're, you're sobbing tears of joy on the other line. Uh, actually, it was just, I actually was just going to apologize on behalf of everything you just said there. <laughs> what? Um, like, I'm sorry you have to read all my coverage. I don't, oh, yeah. man, come on. You can. <laughs> we love it, and uh, we really appreciate you being in the mix here because um, things are shaping up like usual for a really fun and exciting and hectic and crazy and emotional roller coaster type of a couple months. And there's no buddy we'd rather have in the mix than you doing this. So, um, oh. you know, thanks a lot for everything you do. And um, thanks for the interview that we're about to listen to because it's great. And it's a great way to end this episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Anything else you want to say before we kick it to the girls? No, man, I think you pretty much just hit, uh, you know, blasted me against the wall right there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun year. Let's go. All right, let's go. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us in the iTunes store. And don't forget to visit whiteandbluereview.com for all of your Creighton coverage. As many sports as we can cover, we're there. Um, and go Jays. We're sitting here with... Emily Roll, Lauren Sullivan, Lenia Sahau. Is that right? Yeah, I've been saying it right for all these years. <laughs> Ben's always changing the names on me. I'm like, I got this one down. Um, the three great women soccer seniors who just wrapped up their collegiate careers last week. Uh, we're going to start off with a tough one, but I had the emotional stuff separated. Okay. So I'm not just going to blow you away with all that Why stuff. Why are you looking directly at me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um... So I guess starting off, Emily, just, you know, watching that match play out and, you know, obviously it's getting, you know, down to the last five or so minutes and you kind of see that Georgetown's got a pretty comfortable lead. I mean, 3 0 leads don't disappear in soccer that quickly usually. So you kind of see what's, you know, about to happen. And then as I'm watching you three, you know, the seconds tick away and you guys just kind of all went to a knee at different parts of the field realizing that it was, you know, the last match you're going to play there, I guess. Just take me through those last moments, what you were thinking, what you were feeling. Um, probably just like savoring the moment, I guess would probably like best encompass it because at the beginning of the game, it wasn't guaranteed that this was my last game. And I think all of us, including the underclassmen, had the belief that we could make it and we could get a result against Georgetown. And so it probably wasn't until like the last 15 minutes of that game where I started to come to the realization that, man, yeah, this is it. So I think, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to speak for my other seniors, but we kind of just savor the moment, you know, go out with a bang and 
be proud of what you did that day and what you did that career. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, very similar answer to Emily. I, I just knew, I, was, I, I held on to hope, I feel like, a little bit, and then as soon as it got to, like, the last 10 seconds of the game, I was like, all right, I need to just chill for a second, look around, and really, like, try to remember this moment, try to focus on that and have, like, a, take a mental snapshot so I could think about it, you know. A mental for, snapshot. Yeah. Isn't there something I haven't heard in an interview before? <laughs> <laughs> for like, so I can think about it for as long as, you know, as long as I need to, as long yeah. as I feel like I, I can. So I'm just trying to really focus in on that moment and on it emotionally and mentally and, you know, whatever. Lenny? <laughs> yeah, so for me, the last 10 minutes, I kind of realized, like, hey, we're not going to get three goals here. I think it's done. Like, it's going to be our last 10 minutes. Like, clocking down and I kept looking up to the clock and I was like wow like it's the last five minutes we're gonna stay here like be with this team so like in the end like when the game was over I kind of just kind of walked away and like I needed my time like I was like wow this was like literally the last game we played on this field like we had great times here and I think we all were like we were the last ones to leave the stadium we were like we're gonna stay here until the lights turn off we're gonna enjoy the last time we we're on this field like still part of the team kind of like we're still playing so and I think before the game we just tried to treat us as normal as we can and just try to make sure we do everything we've done all the years. So I know, you know, you know, you had the team huddle and you guys, you know, all kind of embrace each other and, you know, it looks like that was going to be the final moment, that was it, and then you walk off to that loud standing ovation, that kind of even blew me away a little bit. What was it like for you guys to, because you probably thought, this is it, it's over, there's nothing else to do, or we're done, I'm walking off this field, it's over, and then to see that crowd that really, you know, never left give you one last ovation that you kind of, you know, kind of one last, you know, way to go. Mm-hmm. How did that feel to walk off to that? Even though you guys, you know, didn't do what you wanted to do out there. Yeah. I think I was just super thankful. I mean, it's one thing to have your family. They're going to be there for you no matter what. But just to have, like, the local fam, family is, like, there's a lot of local clubs that came and supported us. And also just, like, the underclassmen's families cheering for us. It just says a lot to, like, the testament of their character. I mean, they've only known us for, what, three to four months. And for them to give us, like, that standing ovation, that final, final farewell, I mean, I'll hold that dear. That was probably one of the best parts of that day, just walking off the field with that kind of support behind you. I mean, I just thought it was, like, a tremendous show of respect. Like, obviously, you know, we didn't do everything that we wanted to do on the field that night, and I think for all of us, for, you know, most of our careers, I don't think that we did a lot of the stuff that we felt like we maybe could have done, but I think that to have, you know, however many people there stand up and sort of give us a final salute, I think that was really cool. It was a really profound moment for me. You know, look up and see my grandma and my mom, and, you know, it was awesome. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I think it showed we did something right in our four years here. We didn't just like do the soccer thing right, but obviously our relationships were done right. And, like, if the freshman parents, I think a lot of them came up to us after and said thank you for helping you through the first year and stuff. So I think it like, showed we did the right thing as a senior. We've been talking about it since our freshman year we wanted to do that. So I think that just gave us some part of like, yeah, we did something right. And like obviously it was a great moment. Like, we showed respect for us. And obviously we respect the people that come to our games and support us. Anyone, anyone can chime in on that, but you, you two just mentioned that there. I mean, even though, you know, when you look back on your careers and when the, you know, the stories get written about it, you know, we're only going to see what's, you know, in the media guide, the results, the stats, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be easy to forget that moment yeah. for the people that, you know, experience it from the outside. But for you guys, is that almost what 
if there wasn't, if you didn't know that lesson already, is that maybe the realization of it right there that, you know, playing soccer at Creighton or being a Division One athlete is more than just what the final score says or what the stat sheet tells you you did? I mean, I think that, you know, over the course of our, what, 15 plus years of soccer, you kind of get, get the feeling that, you know, and this is, I guess, can translate to any sport, but, you know, when you're out there and you're on the field and you're playing as a team, I think everyone knows that it's not just like a game in that moment. Like, you're working for each other, you're working for yourself, you're working for your family. So, I mean, yeah, like, I guess I think that, you know, it was a nice, like, pat on the back, like, wow, okay, I guess, you know, we really did do what we should have done. We really did, you know, make the most out of, you know, all aspects of, you know, being a, you know, collegiate athlete. But I think that, to some extent, I feel like we had that sort of lesson already ingrained in us. I feel like that's why it was easy to, not easy, but more, more easily translated into, like, a collegiate career sort of setting, I guess. I want to switch gears a little bit, go back to the start of your careers. You know, you look at the way this thing shaked out and, you know, you guys are in a unique position because you got caught. You know, everybody kind of talks about the people that got caught in the middle of their careers going to the Big East. You guys got caught right at the start of it. So there was a chance for you guys to make a decision of whether you wanted to play in the Big East or if you wanted to go somewhere else and, you know, somewhere maybe you could have a better chance as a team. Because you thought, saw what the Big East was going into. You saw what the final year of Creighton and the Valley was like. So, <laughs> I mean, there, there were chances there. Maybe you could have gone somewhere else and then written a different, you know, career for yourself from a team perspective. Maybe go to the NCAA tournament. Why did you decide to just, you know what, this is going to be a great challenge. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make it happen. Um. Well, first of all, I mean, soccer was a really big part of my like, college decision, but just like the academic side behind Creighton University, I couldn't really turn down the offer that was made. And also, I think we can all agree, as being competitive athletes, you want to play at the top you know, division. You want to play against the best of the best. And I would rather play against the cream of the crop and not get a good result than play against lower tier, tier teams and be like the big fish in a small pond kind of thing. So going to the Big East, I think all of us kind of took it as a, took it as a challenge. And I mean, I think every year we've slowly progressed. And I think this year we'll kind of be remembered as like, this was like the starting point of like a really great, you know, tradition Creighton's going to have in the Big East. Because I firmly believe next year, we're going to make the tournament. Well, they're going to make the tournament. <laughs> still we. No, still <laughs> we. Still we. They're going to make the tournament and do big things. So, yeah. Um, I think, honestly, I was a little naive. <laughs> um, I, you know, I've always wanted to go to Creighton since I was, like, I don't even know, in sixth grade. So I don't know that I would have ever said, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to come here. I'm Like like Emily said, I'm competitive, and I love Creighton. So I don't, I don't know that I ever would have decided to go somewhere else, but I think I was definitely a little naive. I was sitting there thinking, oh, you know, they're 3 and 13 or whatever in the Valley the year before. It doesn't matter. We're new conference, new people. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, it's like, I don't know. I just felt like we could stack up. Yeah. Comfortable, confident. Yeah, I think by the time I committed, we were already part of the Big East, so I wasn't ever thinking about the Valley, but for me it was more an academic decision of just trying to play somewhere, and I got a good offer from Crane, and I liked to play, so I came in. I'm happy we played in the Big East. I think I really like playing. I guess you guys, Emily touched on it a little bit there, the, you know, when you look back on this season, you know, the way it shake out, you know, you started off with a win over Marquette, you know, they get hot at the end of the year, they win the league, like... 
That's probably going to be a moment of regret for you guys. Like, how do we beat the top team in the league and not make the conference tournament? But seeing that you did beat the best team in the league and that, you know, was something that was seemed like a far-fetched idea for the first couple of years at least, what does that tell you about the group you're leaving behind, the senior years that you guys had, you know, as far as the trajectory this program is currently on right now? I mean, I've said this multiple times, you know, in the past couple of days and even, you know, in our little group huddle after our last game. I think that, you know, leaving this program behind, I think that we're all, all three of us um, are comfortable and confident, you know, stepping out of these shoes and letting people fill them because after having trained with them for a full season and just got to know, you know, the people that we're leaving behind as just human beings, um, you know, I have every every ounce of faith that they'll do exactly what, you know, we started and what we're hoping that they'll do. I know they're really talented. They work really hard. They've got great attitudes. I, I feel 100% comfortable. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah, I think it was kind of sad, obviously, seeing we beat Marquette, but we can beat, like, a team like Villanova. But I think for us it was more it, playing at home, playing away. Yeah. And... I don't know why, like we had great attitudes at home, not that we had bad attitudes away, but I think we had problems showing up and being fully ready to play. And it might just be freshmen being more comfortable and Morrison knowing they've practiced here every day, there's a new field, new experience. It was our freshman year too, when we came to new fields, we were like, wow, we're more taken in by the city than obviously sometimes the field. But I think they will definitely do great next year and they all know who they play against and maybe it helps switching the teams they play because we beat mostly every team at home so they will know they beat them last year. They can help them and they have great attitudes, they're great players. In the end it's only three of us leaving, it's still, what, 25 people almost remaining on the team so it's not that big of a deal for them. Okay. <laughs> just, just the three of us. Just three of us. <laughs> I wasn't gonna mention Villanova, but you guys did that for me. Yeah. So. Oh, thanks. It's okay. Great. So, so, <laughs> the the question you're obviously gonna get a lot. I'm sure your parents have already asked you like six or seven times in the last week. But you know, what are you gonna do with your life now? But what is the uh, you know the post college soccer career? The spotlight's not on you guys anymore. What is what is what is your life look like after Creighton? Um, well, hopefully we're all going to graduate in May. <laughs> First of all. Yeah, true. So, I think we're still going to be around the team, hopefully play some pickup once in a while, not give the sport up fully. And for me personally, I think I'm going to try to keep playing after graduation back home. But obviously the whole system is so different than it is here, so I'm just a totally different scenario than the other two. I don't know, I hope I graduate and keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what I'm gonna do. Are you, are you done scoring goals or? Uh, I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, like before this year, all I wanted to do was go home. You know, like get my degree, obviously go home. You know, end up in a school because I'm education. Um, end up in a, a school and coach a little bit and keep soccer around because it's obviously very near and dear. But I, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. Craig just talked to me today about stuff, and it's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And you're, you're like the, the world saver of the just gonna be the runner. Career, right? <laughs> yeah, she's gonna go on marathons and just like save ecosystems yeah. while she's running. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um, yeah, I'm toying with the idea. I mean, I'm an environmental science major, bio minor, so. 
I can do some things in the science realm, that'd be preferable. But I'm trying with the idea of trying to get a graduate assistant coaching job somewhere and maybe go get my master's just so I can be more marketable in the job market. But we'll see. Well, you will see. <laughs> just, just so we can give people an idea of what you're all about, I want you to, I want to see if you can rank the. You're a big dinosaur fan, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody who follows oh, you knows this. Man, it's it's kind of weird. Ask me about the... I just want you. I want you to rank the Jurassic Park movies in order of okay. best to least. Best. And this will decide how hostile the rest of the interview goes. Okay. So, of course, the original is always going to be near and dear to my heart. Okay. Good Followed start. by the remake, the new one, Jurassic World. Okay. You know what? Go on. Okay. Well, we won't get into it. We won't get into oh, it. Oh my god. And then I'll probably go with. Hmm. I'd probably go second and then third. All right. You ended it well. <laughs> you didn't like Jurassic World? Oh, my God. Why? Oh. Okay, the ending was weird, but, like, up until that, I mean, it Chris good. Pratt. Chris Pratt like a, makes that movie. Yeah, Chris Pratt was good, but, like, He's they want to, like, train dinosaurs to go fight wars? Like, what is okay, that? Okay, that was weird, what? but that was such a small plot line in that whole big story. Uh, like, I feel like all right. <laughs> in this day and age, is that really that... Like people would try it. People are nuts. Probably, you know, people would try it. You're, that's a good point. But at least yeah, the first one was really the most important. Yes, it's always the original. If you put Jurassic World over, no, no, no. you would have to leave. No. Yeah. <laughs> always the original. Um, now I guess we we I asked you a little bit before, but uh, if you can do impressions of your coaches, so I guess you all feel pretty confident that you can. <laughs> yeah. So Emily, I'd like you to start with. We'll start with Ross, and we'll move on down the line. And we'll be starting with you. So this one's probably gonna be my worst one, but he just okay. He just goes roll, and like I'll be anywhere on the field, and I can hear it. And most of the time, there's nothing that follows the roll. It's just roll, and I'll look at him, and I know I'm probably in trouble. So then I just try to do something. But yeah, that's about it. Lauren. Uh, for Ross, yeah. um, he'll, like, I, I kind of played on that right that right wing, so a lot of the time I was pretty close to the bench, and I would just get, Sully, please, what are you doing? Like, do something. Come on, we need you. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not doing anything right now. You're right. <laughs> um, I just remember him every, for a lot of games, we say we talk some Pinterest calls, so he's like, yeah, we can just do it as a team, it's as a team, all together. Together, like, ladies. Together, ladies. It's a team effort. <laughs> he does talk some Pinterest quotes. <laughs> Lenny, we'll start with you, uh, Craig. Oh, we make fun of someone's laugh every time. It's like, hey, 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 h
you know, all these years? And, like, how much faith did you guys have that, you know, in situations where you guys needed a goal or needed some play to be made that she would do it? So, little known fact, me and Sonia have probably been playing against each other since we were, like, in fourth grade. So, yeah. it's kind of funny how college, I went from, like, dreading playing with her to college where I was like, oh, my God, thank God she's on my team kind of a thing. So, I just really enjoyed watching her, like, I blossom sounds like such a weird word, but just, like, develop from freshman year to senior year because she's really, like, come into her own, and I'm really glad her final year was so successful just because kind of, like, highlighted like how much work she's put in these last four years to get those goals because I mean she can probably attest to it like sometimes goals just don't go your way you know what I mean like you get a touch sometimes it just doesn't work out and I feel like this year like all the cards kind of fell into place for her in a lot of games and it was awesome and I think she dealt with the pressure this team put on her this year about being a goal scorer because previous years I think that responsibility was probably shared more equitably than this year where a lot of the emphasis was on her especially in like how we were playing against certain teams and I think she shouldered that responsibility really well and clearly got the goals for it so yeah. super awesome. proud uh, Lauren and Emily would either of you volunteer to stand on the wall in front of a no. free kick from oh my no. god <laughs> no, no. I value my life. Yeah. I don't think my mom would appreciate that. <laughs> my brain. Yeah, no. Yeah. Internal no. organs. Definitely not. Life. Never, ever in my life. So, Lenny, I guess, what's it like playing with Emily? You know, she's your captain. Um, you know, I know she's the hardest. You know, I watch these practices, and, you know, she's always, you know, finishing the sprints first and getting on everybody. What's it like, you know, following her lead? So, obviously, she's one of the hardest practices we had all four years. Like, when I came in, she was probably the first one to be done with fitness, and um, she was like, oh, I'm done. Well, you're still running. I'll run with you. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, she, like, does everything for the team, and she's probably one of the loudest people I play with. And honestly, Emily sometimes, I sometimes hated her playing defensively when she would just run out of position, and I'll be like, okay, I got to drop in for you. Like, my team is well, like, I can just help you. So like, okay, cool. <laughs> Which Emily I, goes on an adventure. We love them, but sometimes you're like, Emily, just please stay in your position. But you know she loves running, so just let her go. Just let her lose. And then what we love about Emily is just her comments on the field. Everyone's like, let's go. But Emily just says the weirdest things on the field. As like, one time I was dribbling with the ball, and I was like, Lenny, you better not lose it. I'm like, well, I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> so obviously Emily's awesome, and like we're roommates and everything, so obviously... I love Emily and had a lot of fun playing with her. We kind of switched roles this year. Last year I was the center back, she was the defensive mid. This year we switched it up, I guess. So we can help each other a lot and we talk about soccer a lot and about practices in our games and try to help each other out. So it helps a lot. Has she ever failed a fitness test? Never. <laughs> not even close. Not even like no. Not even. Close. Eh, it was a little close this year. It was a little close. Really? No. Nope. I was. I was. I was still. I was still running when she was in the shower. Me across the line for me to pass. <laughs> I was close. Emily literally two hands shoved me across the line. So I passed my fitness test. Really? Two hands shoved me into the bleachers. That's it was allowed. Ne that's was never going to be in the media, guys. See, no, that's see the things I'm talking about. That's yeah. fine though. You don't get that's in your favor. This one, now we're gonna, it might get a little emotional at the end here, but I mean, uh, you know, obviously you play in one of the best, you know, stadiums in the country, everybody says it. I mean, did you feel it, did you know it throughout your career that, you know, I don't want to say that you guys better realize how lucky you were, but like, did you feel like this was a benefit to you that you got to experience four years of playing college soccer at this place? Yeah, I would, I would say 
So, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of club games and high school games here. But I think just our freshman year, going away and playing some, I think it was maybe Idaho or somewhere out west, we were playing some field, on some fields where I was just like, these are worse than some of the high school fields I played on. And coming back here to Morrison, you just are like, wow, I'm so thankful for what I have kind of a thing. So I think from day one, I've always been super thankful, especially having an indoor facility too, just because I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends in, you know, different sides of college soccer, and a lot of them don't even have an indoor facility, so they're in gyms over the, you know, Christmas and that yeah. stuff. So I think from both sides, I've always been super thankful for what we've been afforded. Yeah, I agree. I think that was one of the big, biggest draws for me to create, other than the athletics and other than, you know, just the campus being beautiful and that. I, I knew, you know, I played on this field in like sixth grade, which is what made me decide, like, wow, this is a great place. Um, I think I actually played you yeah, guys. It did. was in like a Toro. Yeah, okay, anyway. Whatever. whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so being, you know, 11, 12 years old and playing on a field like this, you feel like a superstar. You literally, I mean, it's it's unparalleled. Played like one. But I mean, it's it's unreal. You know, you're 11 years old and you look up at like this is like this is professional. This is you know like I'm a, I'm a big deal to even get to step on this field. Like, so I think I just sort of tried to harness that and stay you know humble and remember how it felt to be 11. You know, getting to play on this field and how I felt then. So yeah, it's special. Um, just comparing to also the big new schools just we go to, we still have the best field out of all of them. Remember our freshman year we went to Providence, they just had the grass field at that point. And it was all before us because we're used to our ball just rolling straight and we came there and tried to play a pass and we tried to play to the right side and went to the left. Almost like we had to get used to it. So obviously we know what we have at home and we know the field and we practice on it every day, so that helps as well. We know like the little corners of the field, I guess. So definitely helps and like even if you think about it, we started off in the old gym and now we have the championship center and we yeah. even add more things and it gets better every time and right. it's just so incredible for us to have these facilities and also just our locker rooms compared to other people's locker rooms it's incredible plus our field's just enormous so we get used to playing on and then teams come and they're like oh holy cow <laughs> like where yeah same it, where does it end yeah, yeah seriously um this might be a little bit tough to answer on the spot but i'm going to ask each one of you just to pick you know, one memory of soccer that stands out, whether it's here or somewhere else, seeing a game, one thing that stands out to you this year, you're probably never going to forget or have a hard time forgetting. This year or in my four years? Four years. So could I, like, pick, I would pick my freshman year game against Marquette, my senior year game against Marquette. Okay. Because my freshman year, I mean, as a defender, if you look <laughs> at, like, my career stats, they're pretty, pretty bleak. So, played a lot of minutes. I played a lot of minutes, but in terms of like the whole like goal thing, yeah, not so many. So one of my two goals of my career, I'd been in a corner. And yeah, I think if anyone has seen the celebration, I was uh, <laughs> very excited about that. And then just this senior year, playing Marquette and winning in the way we did, it was, I mean, the emotion, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I mean, kind of just, I mean, even though it was at the beginning of the season, it kind of just felt like a good, like, you know, it's kind of retribution a little bit just because if anyone looks at I mean, we played them close our freshman year in that game, but our sophomore, junior year, <laughs> I, if anyone looks at those scores, you would almost question if it's a soccer game. Their totals were kind of high. So, yeah. Your freshman year was close on the scoreboard. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, not much else. I think we probably touched the ball. The right. possession of that was probably like 98 I ran to 120. I remember that was the game where I was like, you know, I wonder how much better this is. My first year on the beat was going to win this in the Valley. Mm -hmm. So my first year, so I was like, 
I wonder how they're going to translate to the Big East, you know. And Marquette was a dominant team in the last, like, yeah. five years yeah. coming in. It's like, all right, here's a pretty good barometer here. Let's see how they do. And it was just like, does Creighton get to touch the ball? Is there a rule? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, we, no, we decided to play defense for about yeah. 89 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was wrong. Your goal was very cool. That was a good moment, though. I'm glad yeah. you picked that one. Lauren? Um, I think I'd also agree. I think the Marquette game this year, um, like Emily said, definitely sort of some sort of retribution, you know, like having been absolutely whomped by them, you know, years past. I think it was nice. And then um, we were just all like the emotion that goes into a game like that. And then it's crazy. And then like I literally I could not believe it, like even, you know, two or three days later. I, I just was still like and just like on another planet just so excited I thought it was awesome and then like after the game I know Steph was texting like several of us like wow this is so great you guys are so inspiring and she was literally just like in her feels and we're like wow like that was really cool what we just did like so I'll never forget that yeah I would definitely put the Marquette game into it too like it was awesome from a team standpoint and probably Seton Hall last year winning in overtime was just a great feeling because that just gave us like still belief in the season, I would say, last year. And this year, obviously, Marquette was like, this game's really important. Like, obviously, as seniors know, we've been around. They could make or break our season, which we got close. But <laughs> it definitely helped beating Marquette and going into the next game, like people like St. John's would be. And um, I would definitely probably say senior day, just like how emotional it started off and up. First, what, 20 minutes, we scored three goals. And like, obviously, it was great. We definitely had a lot of fun in senior day. <laughs> Now, I guess, what are you going to miss most about, you know, your time at Creighton here? We'll just wrap that up with that one. Emily? I think, I mean, this might sound savvy, but just being part of a team. It I was mean, meant to sound savvy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just being part of a team, I mean, I think all three of us, a huge part of our identity, I mean, was being a soccer player and a Creighton soccer player these last four years. So, kind of that transition to just, I guess, a regular, I hate, like, a regular person. You know what I mean? Yeah, but. Just you kind of lose that sense of yourself a little bit, and you gotta kind of figure out where you go from here. So just being part of a team and having that support system, and I mean, I know I'm gonna make, I have lifelong friends from this, so it's not like I can't talk to them anymore. You know what I mean? But just like going through the day-to-day struggles with them and practicing, waking up early, and missing those like little moments in the locker room or like before games that are just were so random and so funny, but like I'll always remember them. Those are the things I'll miss. Probably why you want to get into coaching afterwards. Right? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely like to be a part of a team again in whatever way I can. What? Um, yeah, I'd say just the girls. Um, you know, obviously we've played with a lot of different people over the last four years, met a lot of different personalities. A lot of babies. A lot of babies. So many babies. She doesn't actually have babies. She just talked about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's clarify. Yeah. Make a little notation. No babies, but yeah, all the freshmen this year. I mean, they're just really awesome, great people, and I love them so much. And I'm really excited to see what they do, and I just, I'm... I don't know, I'm going to miss them. Obviously, like, I haven't known them for very long. You know, like, I've known these old ladies next to me. But, um, I don't know. I think that, you know, I hadn't seen, gosh, like, a couple of them for, I don't even know, a couple of days. And I saw them on the wall. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen you in so long. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, I have. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen my parents in longer than I've seen you guys. Like, I don't even know. So, just, yeah. So, so that's like, a role that, reversal for you then, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, now you know how it feels. I know. It's yeah. weird. 
problem and like haven't seen my babies. <laughs> yeah, for me definitely it's just missing the team of girls we played with. Obviously we played with a lot of girls and this year just been real special and just missing the girls and as we said, like hanging out with them and just being around a team, like having a team culture, just like having you know you wake up or like you have a game of the day and like you're gonna be on the field with like your best friends or whatever. So like that would probably be missed. Yeah, just being around athletics and knowing you'll be like, okay, we have a game this week and we're excited, we're going to play with each other. Just all those things. Not It's not even about money, it's just being with your friends and making friendships. I know this probably ran a lot longer than you guys expected to, but I appreciate the time. <laughs> One last time. It was fun to cover your careers and thanks for the time. Thank you.